Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. So we're going to be teaching here some more on spiritual gifts here this morning. And um, over the last couple of months, we've been in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 13, and 14. We're going to begin here in 1 Corinthians 14. And uh, we're going to be looking specifically uh, at uh, verses uh, 20 uh, through 25. And uh, if you can remember, this, this section here, verse, uh, chapters 12, 13, and 14, is the largest section on spiritual gifts, concerning spiritual gifts, uh, that we find all in Scripture. Chapter 12, Paul addresses the uh, division and disunity in the church because of their misuse of the spiritual gifts. Chapter 13, Paul gives the reason why there's disunity and division in the church, and it's because there's a lack of love. Uh, they were not using the spiritual gifts in love. It was not edifying the church. And really what was going on is they were valuing and placing excessive um, emphasis on certain spiritual gifts above the others, and they were saying, well, these gifts are more spiritual than the others. These have more prominent place in the church than the others. And Paul's like, no, 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 you're, you're totally misunderstanding uh, that whole purpose there. And then last week, we began looking at uh, chapter 14, verses 1 through 19. Paul starts laying down some principles for how the gifts are supposed to be used in public worship. And specifically, uh, he talks about tongues and he talks about prophecy. These two gifts were the, the most highly prized gifts within the church. And Paul wants them to understand this is how they are supposed to be used. And one of the reasons how he told them how they're supposed to be used is that with the Thing of tongues, he says, without an interpreter, they are to remain silent in the church and only pray to themselves, pray to God, right? Uh, but that obviously was not exactly how they were doing it. And really, the, the result of that, the, the body of Christ was not being edified. Only the people speaking in tongues were, were the ones being edified because they were only edifying themselves. They were not uh, edifying the whole church because there was no interpreter present there. So this morning, we're going to look here specifically at verses 20 through 25, and Paul's going to help us understand on how having a biblical understanding of the purpose of tongues, okay, is going to help us know how tongues are supposed to be used, all right? And um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that, and I think by having a unbiblical uh, approach to tongues, it really leads to immaturity and ignorance. And you'll see that uh, here in the text is what Paul is going to say. And then I'd like to wrap this up just by giving you a few principles here out of this first section out of uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 25. So here's what I'd like for you to take away with you today. Don't be immature and ignorant with spiritual gifts. Don't be immature and ignorant with spiritual gifts. So here's the first point that I believe Paul draws out of this. Those who pride themselves in speaking in tongues are spiritually immature and ignorant in why God uses tongues. Now, Paul really has saved this knockout punch really for the last part here, okay? 
He's already told them that without an interpreter, the tongues were not edifying to the church, but those who prophesying uh, were. Those that prophesied, they were, they were going to be, they have more of an emphasis on edification because everybody can understand what they're saying. And so he's saying without an interpreter, it doesn't help the church. But those that prophesy uh, really do help edify the church. But I want you to put yourself in this church. Let's travel back to the days of Corinth. Think about how you might have received this letter. Here you are in this super spiritual church, or at least that's what they claim to be. They claim to have all of the gifts. They prided themselves in these gifts. They were saying, look how spiritual we were. They were even telling the other apostles that they weren't true apostles because they couldn't do the things that they could do. I mean, put yourself in the, in, in the people in this church. You receive this letter from Paul, and he tells you that you are ignorant and immature. How would you receive that? Think of how when we are approached, when things are pointed out in our lives, how do, how do, we, how do we deal with that? If we're foolish, we harden our hearts and we harden our neck. But if we receive instruction, God says that we're wise. And so here Paul is trying to help these people understand you are foolish and you are ignorant in the use of tongues. He says, I want to help you. I mean, do you see the love coming from this? This is speaking truth in love. He's trying to help them. He doesn't want them to continue on in this path. So he's addressing an issue and he's saying, this is the problem, this is what's wrong. And I want to help you with that. And so Paul tells them that they are immature and they are ignorant. And so here you are, you're in this church, and maybe you were one that was using tongues in the church without an interpreter. Possibly you might have been very proud in thinking you were the spiritual elite in the church. Now, I believe the Spirit of God inspired Paul to write what he wrote to those who may have been reluctantly willing to admit that tongues were not edifying to the saints here. But perhaps they still clung possibly to the hope then, well, okay, maybe it's not edifying to the saints, but God is going to use this in bringing salvation to people, okay? After all, wasn't it tongues in Acts 2, which at least partly contributed to the salvation of thousands, as we read? Uh, in, but here in verses 20 through 25, Paul is going to show how shoddy this type of thinking really is. And you're thinking if, well, I'm going to use the tongues then for evangelism, okay? So let's read this, uh, this text here. Notice what Paul writes here. Brothers, do not be children, there it is, the immature children, in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. 
If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, the outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So the Corinthians here have been told repeatedly that they were not spiritual, but rather carnal. They were not mature, they were foolish, and they were not wise. Their thinking on the gift of tongues typified really their immaturity. And I think we still see a lot of this go on today. So Paul does tell them, that you should be like an infant. Notice what he says, verse 20. He says, you should be, be infants in evil, by, be naive to evil, right? But he says, though, that you should be mature in your thinking in what? Concerning gifts of tongues. You need to be mature in thinking, okay? You've got you to grow up. You've got to realize why God uh, uses tongues. Now, take note here of verse 21. Got it a different color there, verse in uh, blue there. Now, this is important in having biblical understanding of tongues here. When studying the Bible, a a good way to grasp what the text is saying, anytime you see where uh, a New Testament writer says, the law says, and then they quote a verse from the Old Testament law. You got to pay attention. Your antennas got to go up, and you got to say, this is important, this is important, this is important, okay? Paul is pulling from an Old Testament text to help them understand why tongues are to be used and what, why God uses tongues, okay? So he takes this Old Testament text, and he's going to apply it to the problem that's going on in this church. So when you see, when you're studying scripture and you see that, look up the scripture, find out where is he quoting this from. If you have a, most study Bibles, most all Bibles usually have little notes and they'll say quoted from such and such place, right? Then go back to that place, read the scripture, read the surrounding verses around that scripture to find out the context of what is being said. So here, Paul quotes here from this Old Testament passage, right? And so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul cites this verse to help them understand the purpose of tongues. Now, we're going to do a little digging here to help bring some understanding of what Paul says here, okay? And so we're going to walk through some Old Testament passages so we can grasp the idea of what Paul is saying here about tongues. Now, the verse he uses here is found in Isaiah 28, 11. That's the verse that he's quoting from, Isaiah 28, 11. We can also use Isaiah 33, 19 for comparison because it says the same uh, thing pretty much. Now, turn with me over to Isaiah 28, okay? And we're going to, I just want you to put a little marker there. If you've got a piece of paper, or if your Bible's got a little uh, marker, you can put it in there because we're going to come back to that. So just put a little marker there. But then what I want you to do, okay, is we're going to also turn over to Deuteronomy. 
So let's look at uh, Isaiah 28, but make sure you have a marker there because we'll, we'll come back there uh, to that. So Paul here quotes from Isaiah 28, 11. Here's the verse, okay? By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Now, did you see that? You see what he says there? Strange tongues. Take note of that. Strange tongues. So why does Isaiah here in Isaiah 28, 11, why does Isaiah say strange tongues? Why does he say that? Why is he talking about strange tongues? Obviously, tongues was even a thing back in Isaiah's time. Strange tongues. Well, let's go back a little bit further, okay? So should be over here in Deuteronomy, okay? We're going to look at uh, Deuteronomy and uh, let's take a look here at um, Deuteronomy 28. So Deuteronomy 28, and look at verse number 47, okay? And I'm going to give you a little crash course here about Israel's disobedience and how strange tongues has something to do with that and how Paul is pulling that from the Old Testament and he's applying it to uh, the Corinthian believers here, okay? So Deuteronomy 28, let's read these verses beginning in verse number 47. So here is Moses, and he's telling the people, this is what God says, okay? And he's giving them a warning concerning their disobedience, okay? Deuteronomy 28, beginning verse number 47. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things... They were being ungrateful. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle, a nation whose, mark this, notice, what does he say? Whose language you do not understand. Strange tongues. He says, a hard-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. And so through Moses, God gives a warning to his people if you disobey this, if you disobey, this is what is going to happen. So the question is, did this happen? Yes. Over and over and over again. Rest assured, God always keeps his words. If God promises it in his word, he is going to fulfill it. If God says it's going to happen... It's going to happen, okay? And so God gives them a warning. Don't do this. Obey me. Follow my words. Follow my teachings. He says, if you don't, this is what's going to happen. And we see this throughout Israel's history where they continually disobeyed God. And what did God do? God brought in other nations to bring judgment upon them. I think this is so important for us as Americans to understand as well. I'm thankful for America. I'm thankful we live in a free nation. 
But America is pagan. America worships idols. And what is God going to do to America? He's going to judge it. And I think we've already seen a lot of the judgment of God upon America. So God always does what he says he's going to do. Here's this nation not following God. And so time and time again, year after year, century after century, on and on, disobedience to God and his word. So what does God do? He sends prophet after prophet after prophet to warn them. Turn back to me. Listen to my words. Obey my commandments. Follow what I'm telling you. Okay? He sends them prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. And so then we find Isaiah now showing up on the scene some 690 years after Moses' writings. Still God's people are disobedient to his word. Isaiah serves as a prophet for 64 years prophesying against the nation of Israel. Telling them, you need to repent, you need to repent, you need to repent, you need to repent, you need to repent. Hey, Isaiah, what's the word for today? You need to repent. On and on and on it goes. Now, if you still have your place there in Isaiah, let's flip back over there. Okay? So Isaiah 28. Now, listen how Isaiah speaks to the Israelites concerning how important obeying the word is. He speaks so simply here. Take a look at verses 9 and 10, Isaiah 28. Isaiah writes, To whom will he teach knowledge, and to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from milk. Those taken from the breast. For it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, Line upon line, here a little, there a little. And then he tells us, notice how the people respond to this message. You need to listen to what God says. You need to listen line upon line, precept upon precept. You need to, to grow up, right? And listen how the people respond. Take a look at verse number 12. To whom he has said... This is rest. Give rest to the weary, and this is response. Yet they would not hear. He comes to him and says, you need to obey. You need to obey. Line upon line, precept upon precept, you need to obey. And what is their response? They do not hear. And so what does God say he's going to do? Verse number 11. For by people of strange lips, there's the tie back into Deuteronomy, for strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to this people. And so the response of the nation was to reject the messenger and the message. And because of their persistent rebellion, God now warned that he would speak to his people by another means. How? Through strange lips through a foreign tongue. Do you see the connection here in 1 Corinthians 14? Why would Paul talk about judgment in 1 Corinthians 14 about strange tongues, strange lips, foreign tongues in connection here with Deuteronomy and Isaiah? 
So this sets the context of why Paul said what he said concerning their spirituality and the use of tongues. The sign of tongues was not one that would bring repentance. In spite of this sign, Israel would not listen or repent to God. So the sign of tongues, in spite of this sign, Israel would still not listen or turn to God. Paul interprets the significance of tongues in the light of this passage. We find that foreign tongues, known languages, serve as a sign to disobedient and unbelieving people. They would not listen to the prophet. So what does God say? I'm going to bring a nation upon you that will speak foreign languages. You won't even understand what they're saying. And it's a, it's a sign of judgment upon you. Okay? So these unbelieving people. And so uh, tongues are a sign to disobedient unbelieving people is where prophecy is for believers. Now notice here, signs normally do not save the lost. They do not save the lost. We find here in verse 21, Paul says here, and even so they will not listen to me. You see, these these. Corinthian believers, I believe, they thought, hey, you know what? We're going to use tongues as an evangelistic tool. And everybody will see us speaking in tongues. They'll be like, wow, that's so amazing. Wow, uh, this is a sign from God. And so therefore they get saved, okay? Now, we do see that happen in Acts 2, okay? But we, you still have the, the fact that here's these unbelieving Jews that have hardened their hearts stiffened their neck, and rejected the Messiah. And God says, I'm sending a sign to you to show how disobedient you really are. Okay? So what does this teach us about that they will not listen to me? Well, signs normally do not save the lost. Our Lord Jesus pretty much summed that up for us in Matthew 20, 12, 38 through 40. He says this, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign shall be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so here's Jesus talking about saying, Look, you don't need a sign to confirm what I'm telling you. If you want a sign, here's the sign. I'm going to die on the cross for your sins. I'm going to take the penalty, the judgment of God that you deserve, and I'm going to die, and then I'm going to resurrect three days later. You want a sign? That's your sign right there. God sent me to tell you that this is what's going to happen. And so did they even believe him with that? No. Even the disciples doubted. So this is why Paul's saying, don't be immature, right? Don't, don't have this immaturity about tongues. You need to have a biblical understanding. When our Lord tells us the true story of the rich man and Lazarus, the beggar in Luke 16, remember there's, there's the, the beggar that sat at the gate with sores, the dogs came and licked his sores, always begging to, to have just a few of the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. And there's the rich man, you know, he's just living it up. What happens to the rich man? He dies. Where does he go? 
He goes to hell. It says, and in hell, he lift up his eyes being in torments, right? The, 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 the beggar, Lazarus, he died. And where does he go? He's carried off into Abraham's bosom, right? There he is, and he's in comfort. Here's the rich man, and he's in torment. And what does he ask the Father Abraham for? He says, Lord, you know, get, I, I'm asking for a cup of water, right? Just, just to quench my tongue. I'm in torments. But then he asks him, he says, will you send Lazarus back from the dead and warn my family, lest they also come to this place of torment? And what does Jesus reply to that? He says, no. He says, that's not going to happen. He says, if they have, they have the law and they have the prophets, and he says, if they do not believe the law and the prophets, neither will they believe, even though as one rose from the dead. You see how important this is, the, the, the idea here with the signs and the tongues and everything? It's not for a thing of, oh, wow, you're speaking in tongues, I'm going to get saved. No. This is a thing of showing this is God's judgment upon his people. The fact that signs are intended for unbelievers doesn't prove that signs save believers. The Corinthians thought that tongues were an effective evangelistic tool. Paul corrects this thinking in 1 Corinthians 14, 23 through 25. And I think you can compare that uh, by looking at uh, verse number 23. He says, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? If, if, if somebody came in here and all of a sudden, boy, we just let loose. We're like, hey, let's all speak in tongues, right? And we're just, we're all speaking in tongues and somebody comes in for the first time, they're going to go, yeah, this is weird. They're going to say, you are out of your minds. But he says, if that unbeliever or outsider enters and all are prophesying, what's going to happen? We see that verse number uh, 25. He says, the secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So see, speaking in, in tongues is not an evangelistic type tool. Okay? And it's not supposed to be used uh, in that way. And so he's trying to correct this misconception here. In evangelism, as well as in exhortation, the gift of tongues is normally inferior to prophecy. And so it is true that tongues are a sign to unbelievers, but they are a sign of condemnation. The Israelites had rejected the clear teaching of the prophets and by the time God spoke through the foreign tongues of other nations, it was too late, too late. Impending judgments here. It's at the door. It's too late now. The same principle applied when Jesus began to speak to the Jews in parables in Matthew 13, 1. Also in Mark 4, 1. He did not use parables to make the message clear, but to make it obscure. Listen to what he says in Mark 4, 10 through 12. It says, as soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables, in order that while seeing, they may not see and not perceive, and while hearing, they may hear and not understand, lest they return again and be forgiven." And so when our Lord said that he was quoting uh, from the Old Testament book there in Mark chapter 4, 
He says to them, to you it has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. Can anybody guess what book of the Old Testament he was quoting from? Come on, I'll give you one guess. One guess. Come on, I know it's on the, it's on the tip of your lips. Come on. Isaiah, all right, good job. <laughs> so here is, he's quoting again from Isaiah. I mean, is that interesting? I think so. This is Isaiah 6. And so parables were not given to make the gospel clear, but to veil the truth from those who had plainly and repeatedly heard the claims of our Lord, yet rejected his offer of salvation as you see in Mark chapter 3, verse 20. And so tongues were a sign, but a sign of God's impending judgment, not salvation. In fact, if you read through Acts 2 in Peter's sermon, in verses 14 through 36, this is Peter's sermon. He stands up and he starts giving a sermon to the Jews, right? He's, he's talking to them. Okay? So he's giving this sermon and Peter quotes some more Old Testament nuggets. Can anyone guess which prophet Peter quotes from in his sermon? I'll give you a hint. It's not from Isaiah. It's from Joel. That's right. You get extra brownie points. You get an extra pop today. All right? Good job. So he's quoting from Joel. And what what does Joel say about all this stuff, right? He says, in the last days, what is going to happen? He says, you're going to see all this stuff taking place. And what is this last days leading up to? God returning, God bringing judgment upon the earth. So it's a warning. It's a warning. Listen up. This is what God is going to be doing. He's giving us warning. And so there's impending judgment. And so these these signs and wonders being done are to bear witness of God's impending judgment before the day of the Lord comes. And so these signs are a sign to unbelievers that God is coming and judgment is coming. Now, while many were saved there in Acts 2, most of the Jews persisted in their rejection of the Messiah. God's plans and promises for the nation of Israel would have to be set aside for a time, and I think uh, we clearly see this uh, in Acts. Paul Paul makes reference to this in uh, Acts chapter 28, uh, in verses uh, 23 through 28. He says this, for this very uh, night, or excuse me, uh, I was 27 there. Verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers from morning till evening. He expounded them. Here's Paul expounding them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And the disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul and had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. There it is. Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. And you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart. And turn and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And so Paul realized that, hey, look, even though I'm giving them truth and we've tried to give them truth, the Jews have rejected the truth. And so, yes, we did see salvation in a sense from that, but a majority 
they still rejected the truth there. So let's wrap all of this up here with some principles here real quickly. Okay? I want to conclude by focusing on three principles that I think are important to grasp out of Paul's teaching here. Okay? So some principles to remember about spiritual gifts. Number one, our minds play a significant role in edification. I think this is clearly taught uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 14 and 15. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but in my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. So having the mind is so important in the principle of edification. Being able to understand what is being said. It has to be in order to be edified. Okay? Um, we also see this in verses uh, 29 through uh, 31 there in 1 Corinthians. He says there, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. See, there's the learning, there's the mind part of there. And then also I think about Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, it tells us to not be conformed, right, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your minds. Do you see how important the Word of God is in being able to live the Christian life? If you are not actively renewing your mind, what's happening? Garbage in, garbage out constantly. You, you can't expect to fill your mind with all kinds of garbage and to live a Christian life that's going to be pleasing and honoring and glorifying to Christ. It's not going to happen. There has to be a renewing of your mind daily, a daily transformation of your mind. So that's why edification, the mind is so important to edification uh, in these roles of spiritual gifts. Here's the second thing. Spiritual gifts are to be measured and used by this standard. Does this edify the body of Christ? Does this edify the body of Christ? The Corinthians had overestimated the importance of the gift of tongues because they had measured its significance in terms of its spectacularity. They, they thought it was something spectacular to behold. And so they said, boy, this is, this is amazing. So they put it way up here. And they said, this is more spiritual than anything else because look how spectacular it is. And there was an overestimation of that. The criteria is, does this edify the church body? And so while it may be true that tongues are more spectacular than any other gifts, the way they were practiced only edified the speaker, not the congregation. Gifts were primarily given for the common good is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. And so without interpretation, those in the congregation were at best spectators, not participants in the worship of the speaker. Uh, for 1 Corinthians 14, 16 through 17, Paul writes, Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. See, there's the edification there. And so in such situations, the tongue speaker might become proud and his speaking profitless. Now, while the principle of edification was applied specifically to the gift of tongues, it also applies to the exercise of all spiritual gifts, I believe. 
Now, this is true, because I know this is true in my own life. Have you ever done something within the body of Christ that was not edifying to the whole church? I know I have. We're guilty of that. And that's what these believers were guilty of, too. They were not edifying the whole church. we got to remember that the church gathering is not about us individually. It's collectively. It's to, to honor and glorify the body of Christ. It's all about Him. It's worship to Him. So we got to have that standard. Does this edify the body of Christ? Here's the last one. Tongues are necessarily an evidence of spirituality. In fact, it may be an evidence of their carnality. I, you know, I, I can't judge people's hearts, okay? I can't judge motives, right? Because we can't, can't see in people's hearts, things like that. But it, it's just so grieving to see sometimes when there's an emphasis placed upon you are spiritual because you can do this gift. Remember, these gifts are a manifestation of what? The Spirit. It's not when you want to do it or how you want to do it. And God can, God can bring and take and use whoever, whenever he wants to. It's not at our whim when we decide to do that. And so we cannot take pride in them because they're a divine manifestation of grace. Romans 12, 6 teaches us that and also Ephesians 4, 7. And so those who would desire to measure the maturity and the spirituality of a church by the presence of the gift of tongues should be warned by Paul's words here in verses 20 through 25. These, this gift of tongues is actually a sign of judgment against uh, the people. Historically, tongues signified carnality and judgment. Uh, in point of fact, Paul has indicated that this was also the case in Corinth. Not only were the saints there carnal, as we see in uh, 1 Corinthians, but they were being judged for their unspiritual conduct. See that 1 Corinthians 5.1 and also 1 Corinthians 11.27. And so as a church body, we need to desire spiritual gifts. I mean, that's what Paul says, right? Desire the spiritual gifts. We should desire them. Paul even said, I wish that all of you would pray in tongues, right? And speak in tongues. There's nothing wrong with that, but they have to be done biblically and have the correct mindset of the purpose of the tongues, okay? I think God can use the spiritual gifts to edify the church in a tremendous way, ways that we can't even think about. But it has to be done His way. And, and I mean, we can fake things. Anybody can fake anything. I mean, we could have glitter coming out of the air conditioning vents and all kinds of weird stuff, right? Okay, we can fake stuff, right? I saw this one video of this lady one time. She, got, she was up on stage, and she was wearing shoes, and she was going to start giving a, a, a message of prophecy, right? And she goes, oh, and now I have a sign. I have a sign that, that this is true. What I'm saying is true, okay? Now, she was wearing closed-toed shoes, okay? Then she goes, now, look, look what's happening. And she takes off her shoe. I'm going to take off my shoe because it probably stinks. But uh, she takes off her shoe, and she has glitter on her foot, she says, this glitter was not here before. Now it's here. This is a sign. This is a sign. No, uh, 
that's crazy, okay? That's crazy. That's not a sign, okay? You probably painted your, your foot before you came to the meeting, and you put your shoe on. Anybody can do that, right? Okay? So we got to be careful, okay, with this kind of stuff. we got to use it correctly, allow it to be used correctly, and I think God can and will bless that kind of things, right? Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.